talk about mission. Um, uh, some of you will know that from the Catechism series and your seasonal guide groups. Um, first up, just wanted to get any feedback from people in groups. Any thoughts that were big for you from this week's study? There's not, there's not, there's not poor people where I live. Or there's not poor people where I work. Like, how will I do mission? It's like, well, actually, the last, the lost, and the least are everywhere. And in every workplace, there is someone socially awkward who people don't want to hang out with as much as everybody else. You know, or there is someone, um, there is someone on the edge everywhere. I'm yet to see a fully inclusive work or social space. You know, and I think Jesus always always calls us to the edge of those spaces. Um, so wherever you are, that's a good question to ask with mission. Do we have any anyone else? Any other further thoughts from this week? Yes, Lily. Um, just that we be reminded to ask people and to, to come and join in when it's good news for them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Cool. Well, <laughs> there is um Richard Raw, he, he brings out these five truths every now and then. Now five tribal truths that um, everybody, he says, needs to know to basically be a healthy human. And people used to be formed with these five traits. Now, I can't remember all of them, because um, there's five. Um, but, um, one of them is, they're very dark. They're like, you will die, is one of them. Like, so, and, and, and You can take it up with Richard Roy, mate. Um, right. Because yeah, who does this guy think he is? <laughs> so you will, like the Fear Factory on Cuba Street. Like the Fear Factory on Cuba Street, yes. Um, so you, you will die. He says, um, you are not in control. You are not in control. You can look these up online. If you search Richard Raw Five Truths, um, you get Five Truths and Ten Heresies. Um, and, uh, and then one of the, the, the other one I can remember, which I want to focus on tonight is he says, your life is not about you. Your life is not about you. And like, I just think, fundamentally, before we talk about mission, life is just better when it's not about you. 
Like, it's just way better when it's not about you. Like, this is the great lie we have been sold, is that life is about us and about our satisfaction. But Jesus, actually, his constant thing that he implored us to was that life is best when you're giving it away. You will lose your life to find it. And so if you live a life of constantly trying to gather more and more stuff and more and more popularity and more and more status, you will die lonely and depressed. But Jesus says, if you give away your life, you will find it. That's the invitation he offers us. We, not only that, he models it, right? He models it. He goes and he gives his life away, and on the other side of that death, we find abundant life. And so this is 101 of the Christian message. If you want to find your life, start by giving it away. Now, the weird thing we have in Western Christianity is that we think that mission is the thing that we do once we've done 101 or 201, 301 Christianity. We think it's honours or masters level Christianity. And yet, I want to just take you to Luke 9. When Jesus has called the 12 together, it says. So Jesus has got his mob of 12 together, right? He's finally got them all in the same space. Then what does it say? He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And then he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Not even an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people don't welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off of your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now, somebody needed to give Jesus the memo that they were meant to stay in a small group and a cosy church environment for three to four years before we let them do this. Because he didn't do it that way, right? So we've bought into this lie that mission is the thing if you get really advanced, then you can go and proclaim the good news, then you can drive out demons, then you can heal the sick. And yet Jesus' thing was, here you are, I've got 12 of you, off you go. Don't take anything, by the way. It's quite different, eh, from how Western Christianity looks like. You know, there was a guy I love um, by the name of Charles Finney. Some of you will have heard this a bunch. But Charles Finney was the pioneer of the altar call where you come to the front and receive Jesus into your heart. Some of you will know that from different churches. And his rule was, you can only come to the front and receive Jesus if you sign up to work for the abolition of slavery. And what have we done? But we took this invitation to follow Jesus and we took mission out of it. We took the call, we took the sending out, the take nothing but a shirt, and we said, come to Jesus and he'll make you feel really good inside. <laughs> you know, we took the Jesus who calls us to heal the world and we made him into someone just for us. You know, I like to say, we, we have my sky, we have the iPhone, we have the personal computer, and now we've created the personal Lord and Saviour who is on my schedule when I want him, asking him to do what I want him to do. Right? But yet Jesus called us to mission. And the thing is that we've got to know is that you actually can't be formed into a follower of Christ without being on mission. This was part of his plan. That not only would you go out and help, but actually the people you encountered who were hurt and broken would disciple you. They would teach you to be more like Jesus. The people who didn't know Jesus would help you to become more like Jesus. And so if you think you're going to do that just in this room, you will not. You will not. And you will miss out on learning to see Jesus in the faces of the most unexpected and in unusual places. You'll miss out. You're missing out. And so for me, um, I mean, this stuff is just like, I cannot say that I've given my life 
to prayer. I'm learning that. I can't say I've given my life to worship, but the last sort of 13 or 15 years, I have given my life to mission. And it has been the best adventure with Jesus. It has just been the best. Um, when, uh, when, when I was at youth group, um, I reached this point where I was just like, is this it? Like, is this it? I was coming out of youth group and kind of university. I was like, is this really the Christian life? Like, this is it? Like, we show up and we move furniture every Sunday? If I have to move furniture one more time and Jesus doesn't show up in a more radical way than I've known him, then I think I'm done because this doesn't seem like an answer to the great pain of the world. And so I've, I've told this story before, but I started, I started working at, um, at Zeal Youth Centre downtown. And, uh, and many of you will know that my first radical encounter with the dusty, muddy, bloody Jesus was being vomited on by a 15-year-old girl. And somehow within that moment of having someone hurl vomit over my arm, I experienced the same power of Christ that I'd experienced in worship services. But there was an awakening that happened at that moment. It's like, oh my gosh, Jesus, you're not just in the church building, but you're over there as well. If you can be in the vomit from the drunk girl on the park on Friday night, then maybe you can be everywhere. And so this kind of this brings me to, to the first part of what we're going to talk about tonight. And that is that God is already on mission. So the colonial idea is that when the missionaries stepped off the boat, God stepped off the boat with them. But when they stepped off the boat, God stepped off the boat with them. And that when you walk into a place, God steps into that room with you. And yet, the way that the scriptures look is that actually God is always at work. And that we actually come into that place and we name the reality that is there. That God is already at work in people's hearts long before we arrive there. So I've shared, shared this um, a number of times, but, but many of you, um, some of you will not know it. But there's a, there's a, um, a story in, um, from, in East Coast um, Māori iwi. And it's not believed by all iwi, but there was a prophet by the name of Arama Te Toiroa. And Arama Te Toiroa, about three years before Captain Cook, had, had a vision. He was a prophet. And he said, there are a people coming, and they are going to show a way to know God, and the name of that God will be Tama Eroa Kutia, which means the son who was slain. And so when the missionaries arrived here, they were stoked because Māori came to faith like crazy. And they were like, man, we must be doing such a good job. <laughs> like, we're really, really good at this. The reality is that God had already been on his mission before the missionaries arrived. And they came in, and yes, it's not to say that the word of God coming in was not also a helpful thing, but we also know there was a bunch of unhelpful stuff that came in too. But that actually there was a reality already at work that some of the missionaries were able to shed more light on or to develop, but God was already, already working. And so this is the first part of the podcast we talked about, is this phrase called the Mishio Day. Mishio Day means the mission of God. God is already on mission in the world. And so our job is to partner with that mission. It says in 1 Corinthians 3.9 that we are co-laborers with Christ. We work alongside Christ. And we work alongside what he is already doing in the world. And so our job is to notice what God is doing, to have eyes to see and ears to hear where God is working, and then to respond to that noticing. And I love we um, talked about this the other week in our seasonal guide. I think it's a quote by Mary Oliver where she says, noticing is the beginning of love. Noticing is the beginning of love. That as our hearts are transformed, we begin to notice the things we didn't notice before. 
The pain we were able to walk past or ignore, the sickness we were able to ignore, we are no longer able to not notice because Christ has transformed our hearts. And so we notice that, and then we join God in his mission to restore and redeem that pain. A few years ago at Zia, a little while after I started there, there was um, a young guy by the name of Pierre who, um, who I worked with for a while. And um, Jay, um, Jay came from a really, really yeah, different Jay. Not you, mate. Um, Jay, Jay came from a, re- a really rough background, um, came from up the East Coast, and, um, and um, was uh, being prospected by the mob. Um, and he, um, he was probably one of the roughest characters we had around, but he was like a really, really like, beautiful person who occasionally did some dumb things. Um, and uh, I can remember one night, um, all the, the young people at Zeal pretty much knew I was Christian. And, um, and we ended up in this circle, and these young people, 13, 14, 15, just started grilling me about why I believe in Jesus, um, and just started throwing these questions at me. And it kind of reaches a point where I'm like, I don't actually think I can answer all these questions. I was probably still at that point in my faith where I thought to be a Christian, you had to know all the answers. Um, And um, hadn't yet realised that actually sometimes it's just good to say I don't know. Um, But um, but as I'm running out of answers, um, Jay um, pulls this photo out of his wallet, and it's of this um, little boy who has scars all over his face. Um, and, um, And I said, oh, who's that? He said, oh, that's me. And I said, yeah, well, you, you don't have any scars, and this is in front of all the rest of these guys. And, and he says, no, when I, was, um, when I was a little kid, I had these scars from boiling water, and a preacher came through our town, and he came to our house, and he laid hands on me, and the scars went. Isn't that incredible? Now, this guy wouldn't say he was following Jesus. And my mentality is, I have to bring Jesus to the circle of young people that I'm around. But Jesus is already working in the midst of it. And the one who actually brought the gospel to that situation was not me, but was the rugged kid who was stealing cars in the weekend. Isn't that cool? So the Mishio Day, the mission of God, God is already at work. God is already on mission. And so our job is not to save the world. In fact, God could save the world himself, but God loves to co-labor and to work with his kids He loves to work with his kids. So he says, come help me fix the world. I don't want to do this on my own. Come and join in with my mission. You know, Jesus said, I often wonder with with Jesus when he was healing people, that sometimes there would be a line of people and there probably would have always been someone in that line who was the last person who didn't get healed. You know what I mean? And somehow Jesus is able to walk away and go to a quiet place. And someone's left there, and, and, and that thing that we're, we're, where he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. There is a co-laboring between Christ and the Father of God. Where are you on mission? Where are you calling me, and how can I follow you? And so what I don't want this to be tonight is a guilt trip. It's not about all of us trying harder, because if we all just look at the thing that hurts our hearts the most and just burn ourselves to keep other people warm, that is not the answer, you know? But the answer is, listen to God. Where is his heart breaking and where does he want to break your heart for the same things that break his and lead you to the people who are hurting? You are not meant to save the whole world, but we are meant to co-labor with Christ in the restoration of the world to join his Mishio Day. So that's the first, that um, God is already on mission. The second point we talked about is that we are a people of the incarnation. So one of the unique things, the most unique things about what we believe that no other religion believes, 
is that our God did not stand at a distance and lob grace grenades down at the earth, you know, or healing grenades down at us, or lightning bolts or anything like that. But our God was the Word who became flesh. Our God so longed to be with his people that he became human and came and lived as a human. This is so unique to to what we believe. It's that our God, all the vastness of God, the God who holds together the universe, the God who put the oceans where they belong, the God who made everyone that ever existed became one person at one time in human history and suffered all the limitations of that even to the point of death. So what we have here is Jesus who sits as one of the three in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in his place of peace, in his place of comfort, in his place of honour, and he leaves his place of honour and enters into humanity where our response to him is to torture him, to humiliate him, and to kill him. That's a crazy thing, eh? You know, a lot of of religions believe in the God who is all-powerful, but only we believe in the God who makes himself all-vulnerable. That's pretty cool. And so there is this thing of, of the incarnation, where Christ comes from his paradise down into our mess, and then he says, follow me on the same journey. You sitting in your paradise, you in your privilege, you in your well-adjusted life, you in your cushy workplace, you in your temperature-controlled house, you with your MySky, you with your Netflix, come out of your comfort and come dwell in the muck of the mess of the world. Come down and dwell with Jesus, work with God. If you want to work with God, you've got to go where God is, and God is in the muck and the mess. So we are called to, to model that same thing that Jesus does. You know, I remember a few years ago, many of you will know our friend Susie has become an incredible mental health advocate. Had this incredible exhibition. Who went to Susie's exhibition? A few people. It was amazing, eh? And I can remember when Susie um, had um, yeah, a lot of experience around, um, around self-harm and, um, and depression and, and different things. And I can remember that we were looking after her um, night after night after night. This is quite a few years ago. And sometimes you'd come home at one in the morning, fall down on your pillow, and I'd wake up in the morning and I'd get up and I'd look in the mirror and there would be blood on my sleeves. And I just remember, I remember thinking at that moment, having a real revelation of God, of the difference between charity and justice. That charity is love from a distance. Charity is love grenades. Charity is grace grenades thrown from heaven. But justice is entering into the mess and the muck where the muck even gets on us sometimes too. You know, there's that amazing story of the woman um, who had been bleeding for 12 years. And she crawls along the dust through a crowd and she grabs hold of the hem of Jesus' garment. And he says, I felt power go out from me and she is healed. Now, one of the things I love about that story is that she was viewed as ceremonially unclean at that time. She could not be in community. People would not relate to her. And the moment at which she touched Jesus, he becomes ceremonially unclean too. Isn't that cool? God became unclean. God became ceremonially unclean to enter into the muck and the mess, and from that place came healing. If you want to see healing in the world, if you want to join the mission of God, then you're going to have to be willing for the mess that is on others to get on you. We cannot love from a distance. 
We cannot love from a distance. Charity is a distant God. Justice is an up-close and intimate God. And so mission is leaving our place of comfort and entering into the hard place with others. And finally, mission is hospitality. I meant to put this picture up, um, but I'm sure we, some of us will be familiar with it. It's probably around here somewhere. But there is a, an icon from uh, the 15th century by a Russian artist named, named Andrei Rublev. And this icon is of the Trinity sitting around a table, a painting of the Trinity sitting around a table. And one of the theories that um, art scholars have around why he painted it this way is so that the fourth side of the table would face us and would invite us to join God at his table. That's pretty unique to us too. So the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit invite us to join them at their table and then ask us, open up the table. Open up the table again. Be welcomed into the family, the community of God, and then go and create community and family beyond it. And you know, back in the Old Testament, there was um, this thing called a temple. It was really big. And the way that this temple was set up at that time um, was that it had an outer wall. And beyond the outer wall was to keep the foreigners and the enemies out. And then it had a courtyard just inside. And just inside that, that was where women were allowed to go. Something familiar, eh? And then there was another wall to the kind of inner courtyard. And men were allowed in there. And then there was another wall into a porch. And that was where the priests could go. And then in the middle of that was what they called the Holy of Holies, where the very presence of God dwelled. And one man, one priest, could go in there on one day of the year. So if you can imagine a time where God, we did not know God lives within all of us now, but we believed God lived in a particular place, and your race, and your gender, and your class were barriers to how close you could get to accessing that God. It's full on, eh? Paul goes on in the New Testament, he calls us new temples of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes in the church, I'm not so sure we don't still have those walls around these temples. That the foreigner and the enemy can stay out here. And that based on race, class, gender, we decide how close someone can be to the holiest, deepest places of our lives and the places where they see us for who we truly are. The temple walls are still up, and yet Jesus said this. He said about the temple, he said, I will throw it into the ocean. He said, I will knock it down and I will rebuild it in three days. He was all about breaking down the walls of the temple. And I've just thought a lot, I was saying to our seasonal guide the other day, that um, sometimes in community, sometimes at our tables, I think we forget what we've got. I think we forget how special what we've got is. I think we forget, you know, I sometimes meet up with old friends from high school. And they have two friends. And they're the same friends that I've always had. I'm like, makes me feel bad about the days when I'm like, oh my gosh, there's just so many blueprinters to catch up with. <laughs> but you know, God has given us like abundant community. He's given us warm tables where we can eat warm food. And sometimes we take for granted just how special that is. There was someone who said to me the other week, um, a friend from the free store, Actually, 
See, you don't know how much it matters when I come and have dinner here. I think sometimes we don't realise how precious our tables are to people. And we do the world and we do God a great disservice when our tables are only for us. We really do. The Trinity invite us to their table in order that we would open our tables and invite the world to be a part of the community of God. So what I think I want to do here is I want us to sit with God for a little bit because this land's heavy. And I think we are a generation who finds it very hard to hear a strong word without feeling like it is um, a direct criticism of us. Or we, we go to guilt so quickly, we go to condemnation so quickly. And our assumption is not, you know, God will lead me into this reality if I just follow him. But it is like, I am not good enough and I will never be good enough. I just want to say right now, that is not the truth. And that is not what I'm saying tonight. One of the coolest experiences I've had, I think, was a, a few years ago um, getting to meet one of my like heroes um, of his faith in the last 20 years, Shane Claiborne, um, who came and spoke here. And I remember... Most of the time when you hang out with these like really incredible Christians, right, you're just like come away being like, I'll just never be that good. But I remember the sense with him was he had just made one decision every day for Jesus and all those decisions had transformed him into who he is now. So the call I want to bring to you guys tonight is not that you're not going hard enough, not that your tables are not open enough, not that you're not incarnational enough. Anything you hear in your mind that, that has the word enough after it, or has the word should before it, is probably not Jesus speaking. But what we do want is for God to open our hearts in such a way that we can open our lives to a hurting world. Hey. Because ultimately we are only to lead, able to lead people into the healing that we have. So for some of us tonight, the thing is like you are feeling right now, you're like, this is too hard. And people said that to Jesus too. And they walked away in droves. They said, this is too hard. And it is, it, it, it is hard. It is hard because all of culture is leading us the other direction. But all God would say today is, will you open your heart to me so that I may break it? Because if we co-labor together, if we are yoked together, I will carry most of the weight. And you'll be stronger than you think you are. You'll be stronger than you think you are.